Did you see the youth slide? sometimes. 
But if we start looking at this passage, the first thing that we see is arise, and then there's a comma. Well, anytime there's a comma, there's a time that you have to stop and think about something. Let's just pause for a second. But the very first thing that this passage is telling all of us is to arise. Second, shine. But then there's this little thing called a semicolon. And what a semicolon tells you is that it's connected to the next passage. There is a relationship between this and this. And what is the next passage for your life to come? Present tense. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Arise. Now, arise is an action statement. Okay? Arise is an action statement. And the dictionary says it's to call to action, to get up, to make a move, to change position. Right? I don't know if any of y'all have ever had teenagers, but when they plop themselves on the couch, sometimes you say, arise, go take out the trash. Or arise, go clean your room. You're saying, I want something more than what you're doing right now. And we all enjoy, man, I'll tell you, during football season, I call couch. Sometimes even on the way home, I'm like, I call couch. That means me. Kristen looks at me in that tone of, arise and go do some things around the house. I know. She can look at me and I know we have a whole sentence in a look. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody. A lot is being said in a look. Look. A call to action to get up, uh, to move, to change position. Now, someone you might think, Pastor Mark, what does that even have to do with me? Where are we at in our position with Christ right now? Maybe he's calling us to arise from wherever we are. I don't know if anyone has ever gone through a difficult season or a hard time with God. But sometimes when things get hard, I like to sit down. And if I really start getting a little depressed, man, I want to lay down. And I think that sometimes we, even though we're morning and Christians and we love God, we go through a season where we've been sitting down for quite a while. We're not doing what we used to do. We're not worshiping the way we used to. We're not reading the Word. The Word of God doesn't mean anything to us when we, when we read it. Maybe we've gotten depressed or we allow fear or anxiety. And maybe spiritually right now you're laying down. You're saying, I gave up sitting a long time ago. I've been flat on my back spiritually for quite a while. When God gives you a word, he's telling you to arise because something's about to happen. Get yourself into position. And that's why this word is so powerful for us as a church. All of us can arise in our relationships. All of us can do better. There was a motivational statement, and I'm going to have it put on the screen here, that I, I loved about this, because it says, if you find yourself in a place where everyone is sitting down, make sure you stand up. And if everyone is standing up, stand out. And if they all manage to stand out, be outstanding. And if too many people become outstanding, then become the standard. Wow. This is saying, you know what? Never get comfortable in this life. Never get comfortable in your relationship with God. Never think that, man, this is about as good as God's going to get, and I'm just happy and content, and I'll just sit here like a bump on a pickle. That is not what God called us for. That is not why Christ died on the cross. He died so that we could go out and touch lives and, and impact others. To 
can impact a community to make a change. And you'll say, I don't think I'd ever be able to make a change. You're correct. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Christ in you, the, the glory. The, there, there's so much power inside of you. You're saying, you know what, though? I've been tired. I've been depressed. I've been discouraged. Things just haven't worked out the way I wanted to. Today I'm asking you to arise. I'm going to ask you two questions before we go on with the rest of this passage. Number one, you need to sit down with yourself and ask yourself this question. Where am I at this moment? You know, sometimes you need to sit down and get alone with yourself and have a conversation with yourself. Okay? I'm going to suggest something really radical here. Turn your phone off. Alright? I won't be connected. I'll be off the grid. What if somebody has to call me? What if there's an emergency Facebook? What if Instagram comes in? Spend time with yourself. Ask yourself some questions. Where am I with God? Where am I spiritually? If something were to happen to me, do I know where I'd spend eternity? If I trust in God, do I believe His Word? If I believe His Word, do I believe that His Word is applicable to me? If I believe that His Word is applicable to me, am I seeing God in my life? These are all questions that you need to go and just have a conversation with yourself. Get away from everyone and spend time alone, not only with yourself, but with God. It's amazing. You can be in a crowd of people and still be lonely, but several of us never want to get alone with ourselves and ask questions. Where am I? Here's a passage I'm going to share with you that I've always wondered about, and here was revelation to me. Genesis 3.9. Now, you've got to remember that God created the heavens and the earth, gives us the world, and he creates Adam, and then he takes the, e, uh, the, the, the rib, and gives him the rib to, to Eve, and all of a sudden now he has a helper. We know what happens. They eat the apple. Their eyes are open. Genesis 3.9. And the Lord God called unto Adam... And said unto him, what does it say? Did you read the passage? Now there's only two people in the whole earth. And we know that God knows every hair in our head. He knows every fiber, every detail of every person in the world. And there's only two right now. And he comes out and he says, where are you? Anytime God asks a question, it's more for your benefit than his. Okay? Because that question was to get Adam to think. And Adam had to respond... And he says, well, we were hiding. Well, that starts an interesting conversation, doesn't it? And he says, well, why were you hiding? And Adam goes, well, because we're naked. And he says, who told you you were naked? See, it made Adam come to a realization of where he was with God by that one question. Where are you? God knew exactly where they were hiding, but he wanted them to start thinking about where they were spiritually. They knew that they had sinned. Their eyes had been opened. There had been deception. And they're hiding from their source, their creator. So when God asks you a question, it's more for your benefit. It's a turning point to confirm where we are. Where are you spiritually? Not where do people think that you are. Where are you spiritually? And only you can answer that question of where you are spiritually. People can assume that everything's going great in your life. People can think that everything's happy. We've seen over the last few months that marriages that we thought would last forever had been falling apart. 
We thought that, that people that could do no wrong can be wrong. So only you can answer where you are spiritually. Are you running on the Word of God or are you running on your emotions? You see, when we run on the Word of God, then we put our hope and our faith and our trust in the Word, the Bible. When we run on our emotions, things will always be settling up. Good things happen, we're happy. Bad things happen, we're sad. People can sway you with a conversation. Your faith does not see through that circumstance. My second question to you is, where am I supposed to be? Where am I supposed to be? In Luke 15, we see the story of the prodigal son. You remember the story. It's a father who's very wealthy. He has two sons. And the younger son becomes very discontent in being there at the house. He's not near a major city. There's not a lot of entertainment. He's down on the farm. So he goes to his dad and says, hey, I'd like to have my inheritance now. I'd like my portion. So the father gives him that portion. We know that he goes to the nearest big city, lives life high on the hog uh, for a little while. And, and he, he's got a lot of friends as long as he's got a lot of money. But there also happened to be a famine in the land, so times were hard, economy was hard. And as soon as his money ran out, his friends ran out. So he takes a job feeding hogs and has to eat what the hogs are eating. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, that is the most horrific thing, being near swine or pork, that they can even imagine. Luke 15, where the prodigal son is mentioned, has three parables in it. The first parable is about a man, a man who had a hundred sheep, and he loses one of the sheep. And the parable is about how the shepherd goes out, and he looks, he leaves the 99, and he looks for the one lost sheep. And when he brings back that sheep, he rejoices. The second parable is about a woman who had ten pieces of silver in her house. And she realizes that one of those pieces of silver is missing. And tells how she cleans her house and she looks for that and she finds that piece of silver. The third parable, though, is about the prodigal son. And we know that the father of this young man loved him dearly. But did you notice that the story didn't have that the father went looking for the son? The son had to come to a realization of where he was, what he had done wrong, and how much the father loved him. And it was up to the son to go back to the father. We've had that relationship with God. We've turned our back on God. It's our responsibility to go back to an ever-loving God who is always willing to love and receive you. Always willing to forgive you. His grace and mercy have no end. You don't run out of grace and mercy with God. We can fall, we can sin, we can fail, but he's always there to, willing to take us back and receive us. But we have to realize our responsibility to go back to the Father. Some of us have just been out in that hog farm and we just sat down in the mud. And we know that God loves us, but we just don't think that he'd want us back. That is a deception that Satan has given so many people that they've done too many horrible things, that God doesn't love them anymore. The church would never want them in their presence. 
And there's nothing further than the truth because that's why Christ came to die for us. That's what the church should be radiant about. Receiving those who have fallen, those who are dirty, those who are hurt, those who are sick, those who are in despair. That's why we meet. And that's why Christ died. The Holy Spirit brings us to a realization of our sin and that we need a Savior. That we can't do everything on our own. This world's too big, too powerful for ourselves. But when we receive Jesus Christ into our heart and our Savior, He comes into us and He empowers us. And He gives us peace that we don't normally have. He gives us hope that we've never generated on our own. He gives us love because He first loved us. We may have felt unlovely, unworthy. And God says, come to me, all who are tired and weary, and I'll give you rest. So where is your home right now? Are you at home with the Father? Sitting at the table, eating the best of food? Wearing the robe and the ring? Or are you sitting in a hog farm somewhere away because you decided that you had a better plan? As we go forward in the scripture, shine. We've been able to establish that the semicolon is connecting it to the rest of that passage. But arise means that there's going to be a positional change, a location change. And this gives us the ability now to shine. To shine is to be bright, to send out rays of light, to be reflecting light. You know what's a real curious thing is the moon does not generate any light. I don't know if you know that or not, but you know, there's some nights when you go out for a walk and there's just so much moonlight you can see your, your shadow. Have you ever done that? The, moon, the light is just so powerful. They'll even call it a harvest moon that they could even go out and harvest there was so much light. But the moon does not generate any light. The moon only reflects the light of the sun. Okay? Actually, if you look at the moon, the moon is dark charcoal. It doesn't generate anything. It only reflects. We also look at gold and silver because it's beautiful to look at. But it doesn't generate light. It only reflects. I had to borrow something from Kristen, but this was her original engagement ring. Hey, <laughs> girl, if he goes to Hobby Lobby to buy you your engagement ring, he's not the one, okay? All right? They're cheap at Hobby Lobby, okay? You want them to go to Jared's or one of those, you know, we'll be with Jared's. Let's just take a look at this slide real quick. This, let's pretend, is a diamond. And on its own, it's pretty. But when you go to the jewelry store, how do they position that jewelry? Do they have it in a shoebox and says, oh, hey, here's a shoebox of diamonds. Sherry, just pick one out. That's not what they do, do they though? Right? What do they do? They put them in glass cases, right? What's in the glass cases? Huh? Mirrors? Velvet? Light? Why do you think they spend so much money lighting that diamond? So it'll shine. So it'll be attractive. Right? Have you ever went into a dark jewelry store and you're like, excuse me, is there anybody in here? Yeah. Oh, this feels like a good one. I'll take this one. That's not the way we buy diamonds. We look at diamonds because they have the ability to shine. 
And we like it the way that they shine, because when the light shines in them, the, it makes everything around it beautiful, right? So we love diamonds when they shine, but the diamonds themselves are really not that phenomenal. Positioning. The way that they position that diamond in the case is what really draws your attention to the diamond. Because it shines. This is the way we ought to be. You see, people see Christ in us, and we should shine out to others. In fact, Mark 5.16 says, In the same way let your light shine in front of people, then they will see the good that you do and praise your Father in heaven. What it's saying is we, as born-again Christians and followers of Christ, should shine. There should be joy. There should be peace. There should be uh, 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 something about us that makes us different than anything else in this world. But sadly, there's very little difference between people that have received Christ and are born-again Christians and those who haven't received Christ. The economy fails and everybody starts woeing. Something bad happens and everybody starts crying. This is when we, as born-again believers of Christ, should be getting into the Word of God and saying, God, what is your scripture on this? I will stand on your word. I don't put my hope and my trust in the economy. I don't put my hope and trust in this government. I don't put my hope and trust on things that will change daily. I put my hope and trust in you that never changes. Can I get an amen on that? See, what we put our hope and our trust in is going to affect us. And if we're putting our hope and trust in men, we will be disappointed. But if we put our hope and trust in God, we'll never be disappointed. It doesn't mean that God will always do what you want Him to do. It doesn't mean that your prayers are manipulative. God, I want an A on this test, and I never studied for it. God, I want that person to love me. See, we're manipulating God when we ask for certain prayer requests to be answered our way. Our prayer should be, God, would you give me the wisdom to do well on this task? Would you open up my heart and my mind? Your word says that if I ask for wisdom, you'll freely give it to me. I will study, God. But give me favor, give me peace. If I have anxiety about tasks, would you give me peace? Lord, I'm praying for the right person to come into my life. Would you prepare my heart and prepare their heart that when we meet, we'll know that it's you. See, there's a difference between manipulative prayers and asking God for His will. Positioning here, though, is a key to your allocation of God's light in your life. You see, some of you are diamonds, but you're not where you're supposed to be. You're in the shoebox of the jewelry store, and no one is seeing your beauty because you have not arose, positioned yourself so that God's light can shine on you. That's why it's saying, get up, get in position, God's going to shine on you, and you are going to sparkle like those disco balls. And I tried to get one in, but Okay, so, and then plus, so everybody start breaking out and dancing, I'd lose photo control, so. When things are not in position, do you remember the original analogy I gave you? You have the sun, you have the moon, and you have the earth, right? Three elements. And what happens when an eclipse passes, happens? Does anybody know? What, what the Earth comes in between the sun and the moon, and it stops reflecting because 
there is a blockage of the light. The moon didn't just get turned off. There's not a remote or a clapper. Okay? It doesn't go on and off. It just stops reflecting because something blocked its way. Some of us have allowed things to block the light of Christ to shine through our lives. We are still that diamond. We are still that valuable. But we have no light shining on us because we've taken ourselves out of position of where we should be and said, you know what? I think I'm going to be more comfortable over there, God. And he says, because God's a loving God, says, okay, you're not going to like it over there. Oh, I think I will like it over there, God. And he goes, when you're ready to come back to me, here's where you should be. Here's where the light is shining. This is how you will make the impact on people. This is how people will notice your gifts and call it. The rest of this passage says, for your light has come. If you want to know, there's really no such thing as darkness. Darkness is just an absence of light. In Genesis 1, verses 1 through 3, the very beginning, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Kathy No could say, we want you to come over to our house for dinner. We would come over to our house for dinner. But if every light was off in our house, she'd say, now I just want you to know, we have beautiful works of art. We have Rembrandt over here. And I'm like, <laughs> and, and over here is Picasso. And this is a Michelangelo that we just acquired. There's a, you know, we, we got it out of, out of the, the Louvre in France. And by the way, that, that statue over there in the corner, I'm like, what? You see, they can have all the beauty. They can have all the gifts and the ability and the talents, but with no light, no one sees that. God has created you uniquely. You are one of a kind. There is no other Sarah Huntsman in the world. And I can guarantee you that, because I know I've known Sarah since she's been a little girl. There is only one Sarah Heinzman. You know she has odd football tape. There's only one Sarah Heinzman, okay? Says, you know what? I know what I want to do. I want to go in the medical field. I want to do this. I want to do this. That determination and that she will do it. Don't ever debate this young girl, okay? But there's only one Sarah. But if she removes herself from everything that God wants to do in her life, she'll live her life in darkness, and she'll never shine the way God wanted her to shine. God wants you in that jewelry case where he says, let me just show everyone how beautiful you are. Let me show everyone your abilities, your gifts, and your talents to lead worship, Dino. Let me open up avenues for you. But at any time, Dino can say, I'm not going to sing anymore. I'm going to remove all the light from this, and I'll just live my life, and God can live his life, and we'll just see what happens one day. That was never his plan for our lives. Once the light is on, our abilities of who we are shine. God's timing, God's light brings attention. Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world, and the city that sit on a hill cannot be hid. It was amazing, you know, the first two songs that you talked about talked about a shining. Did you, did you catch that? There was shining and light and reference. Daniel 12.3 says that he who wins souls will shine like the stars. Referencing light, referencing shining, reflecting. Remember, it's not me. It's I'm just the moon. I'm just reflecting God's light off of me onto others. 
Now, sometimes we get a big head and say, wow, look at all that I can do. That's why the Bible tells us, you know what? We must decrease so that he can increase. Because once you start saying, look, God, look at everything that I'm doing, you can actually pull God's presence away from you. God loves a humble heart. And when you say, God, would you give me the opportunity today to love people? Would you give me the opportunity to speak encouragement into others? Would you let the gifts and callings of my life impact my community, my classroom, my campus, my workplace, my neighborhood? Everywhere I go, Lord, would you allow me to reflect? See, what's going to happen is there will be such a shining upon you that no matter where you go, people will want to be like you. Right now, if you're not positioned and you're not shining, you're no different than anyone else. And I will tell you that people are constantly watching you. You may not think it, but they watch the way you respond. They watch the way you react. They watch you constantly. Somebody walked up to Austin once. He was at a, a crusade and said, I want to meet you because I want to learn, I want to worship God the way you worship. That is a high compliment to his spirit because what he's saying is, I'm surrendering myself and worship God. I don't care what anyone around me cares about. It's you and me. Well, nobody else is raising their hand. So much more so. You, you remember what I was telling you about? It says when everybody is sitting down, stand up. And if everybody's standing up, then stand out. There is always a way for us to reflect Christ and not reflect it to us. And when we get to the point where we're saying, God, would you shine through us? Would you reflect through us like that diamond? Maybe every time you see a diamond now, you're going to think about your relationship. Are you shining in this world? You are the light of the world. That's why I feel sorry for people who are self-made. See, without Christ in your life, everything's on your shoulders. Your career, your relationship, everything is on your shoulders. When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can say, God, I give you this, this relationship. It is so messed up. God, I don't know what's going on at work, but I know that you guide direct, that you are my source and you're my strength, not man. See, if man makes you, man can break you. If you're self-made, you can self-destruct. We've seen that many athletes, right after a big game, they'll open their mouth and they'll self-destruct. <laughs> and I'm not referencing anybody in the reason, but you know, we all know who that is. And then they have to go and apologize and have all pressure releases to cover up because in the moment. But see, when you're self-made, you can self-destruct. When you're God-made, then Romans 8.31 says, what can we say about all of this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that amazing? If God is for you, there's nothing that can stand against you. You have the power and the authority to say in the name of Jesus Christ. Life is very important to making decisions in life. The last part of Isaiah 60, verse 1 says, And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Glory means radiant goodness. It, it, it comes from the Hebrew word kabod, which means almost a heaviness. There was so much value in it, there was a heaviness. See, the children of Israel in the Old Testament never moved until the glory of the Lord moved with them. They understood that. What happens in the New Testament is when Christ, Christ says, 
I must go so a comforter may come. And they're in the upper room in Acts. If you read through the book of Acts, especially Acts 2, they're out in the upper room, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls upon them. They start speaking in other tongues. People from all around are wondering what's happening. A boldness comes in because what happened earlier is that when Peter was denying Christ before the baptism of the Holy Spirit, afterwards he goes out and he leaves 3,000 people in the streets to Christ. Something happened in that upper room. And what it was is it was the Holy Spirit, the presence of God coming into our lives, giving us strength when we are weak, giving us boldness to speak His Word. The Bible says that when Moses spent time on the mountain in God's presence, that his face shined a radiance. In fact, it shone so much, they made a veil for him. Now that would freak me out. I'm being honest with you. I'd be like, Danny, your face is like glowing. You know, and first time I think is, did he have like some nuclear, you know, medication? Like, he's got lots of stuff on Cooper Street. It should work. But something was happening that's making his face glow. In fact, it's glowing so much. His mom said, you know what? Let's play a ball cap with like a little house until this goes away because everybody's noticing the shine. But in 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul tells us this. As all of us reflect the Lord's glory with faces that are not covered with veils, we are being changed into the image with everlasting glory. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And what it's saying is that our lives ever changing are reflecting Christ even in a greater way than Moses' face shone. But my question to you is, are you shining today? Do you feel like you're shining? Do you feel like you've arose? Or do you feel like you're sitting down spiritually? You may be saying, Pastor Mark, you really nailed it when I've been laying down spiritually. I know I'm that diamond. I know I'm that thing of beauty. But there's been no light shining on me. I know that God has great things for me, but there just hasn't seemed to be an opportunity. I just haven't found that right person to come into my life. I, I haven't, things haven't gone right. Doors haven't opened the way that I thought. That's why the beauty of this word is so powerful for us this year. You need to take possession of this passage. Just go home, study it, read all of Isaiah 60 and 61. But you know what God's asking us to do? To get up, church. To get up. Quit laying down. Nap time's over. Come on. It's time to get up. Let's start going and doing and being the church. And by the way, when you start getting up and start going out in the world, leave your little nap sack behind and go actually out in the real world, God is going to shine on us and people are going to be attracted to what's shining. And when people come into our lives, they're saying, man, what's about you? What, what, there's just something different. Then it gives us the opportunity to say, you know what? My life was changed when I gave my life to Christ. You see, before Christ, as Dino gave such a great testimony today, drug addict, divorced and brought back to his wife, told they would never have children, has a wonderful two-year little boy. People want to see change. People want to see difference. What has God done in your life? 
You see all that they've seen in the church is they've seen the hypocrisy, they've seen the judgment, they've seen the rules, they've seen the regulations, but they've never seen the love. And wouldn't it be great if we could be a church that just shined out love? People would be like, man, there's just something about those. Yeah, they meet in a dance studio. They're not traditional at all. Their worship was strong. But I just, there's something about them. I pray that God would change our hearts this year. That God would make us stand up to position ourselves so that we can truly shine for Him. And not waste our lives in darkness. Would you all bow your heads as I close? Some of you may say, hey, I, I understood most of what you were saying, but I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus Christ that you were referencing. See, it's very simple. We all sin. We were born into sin. No one had to teach you how to lie or steal. Even as a toddler, you might have stolen something just because that was your natural instinct. And because of our sin, we can never be in the presence of God. So God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, and He lived a perfect life, and He died on a cross to become a sacrifice for you and I. And all we have to do is to cry out to Him. All we have to do is to ask Christ to come into our lives. To say, God, I need your Son in my life. Jesus, would you come into my heart? Would you change me? Forgive me for all the things that I've done. Does that mean all your problems are going to be disappeared? No. But will something inside of you change the way that you look at those problems? Yes. But once you make that important decision, then it's really the next step is to, to spend time and worship. Maybe turn off the phone and go for a walk with God. Talk with Him just like you would a best friend. Pray. But it all starts with just asking Him into your life. As I told you, the few very close friends of ours that are no longer on this world, and last Sunday they would have never believed that they would not be here today. But life changes instantly. One phone call can change your life. One circumstance, one situation. And that's why it's so important to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. I'd like to lead everybody in a prayer. I'd like for everyone to say it, whether you've received Christ before or this is your very first time. And then we're not going to ask you to stand up. We're not going to ask you to come forward. But if you did make that decision, tell somebody. Today when we all pray, I ask God in my heart. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose from the grave to give me life. Please forgive me. Change my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I now confess Jesus Christ as my Savior and I am That was your very first time, or if you're listening to this on the web, you just got permission. Now let Christ shine.
get the light, get into that, that jewelry case and let all the lights of God's love and grace and all the gifts and abilities that He's given you shine. I pray that this year we will arise and shine like we've never experienced God before. I'm ready to experience so much more of God. I'm ready to shine brighter, not that I may be glorified, but that Christ may be glorified through me. That's the word that's being spoken over this church body. So we have to get up from our situation, get up from our circumstances, get up from our doubt, get up from our lack, get up from our unbelief, get up from our fears, and position ourselves so that we can shine the way Christ wants to shine through us. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Would you all please stand? I'd love to speak a blessing over you. Smith. I want to thank you for coming today. Dean, I want to thank you for leading us in worship. It was beautiful. So let's give Dean a hand. But I love our worship team, too. I love the drummer, the piano player, the bass, the lead guitar, our worship singers. They're just a beautiful team. We're blessed to have them. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. So go in his peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. We love you so very, very much.